0: And our life is shaped through our experiences. So we need to see experiences, we need to hear experiences for stuff to make sense to us. Which is why, like yeah, I love stories. Kanaka Dasa, Purandara Dasa, all these Dasas, the reason why they started preaching God is like they started preaching God from like a very human scale.
1: For Arjuna, Krishna was a friend. Krishna was like a teacher, best friend. He truly believed that and krishna was manifested like that and all the gopikas they truly believed that krishna was their husband and krishna was their husband so for draupadi she saw krishna as a brother right like when there was this incident where people were harassing her she looked up to krishna and was like brother where are you come to save me and then krishna came as a brother it is not about krishna having sixteen thousand wives it's about Whoever you want Krishna to be, however you establish a relationship with God, that will make it easier to consume God and make sense of the world, right? A Sankarshan Joshi trip. Let's go. Good haircut, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, uh-huh. welcome back to another Sankarshan Joshi trip. On this episode, we have Vaishak Dutt, an avid story lover, story writer, director, actor. He's also a stand up comedian and a part of improv trio based in Bangalore, which is the Bissibele Boys. He's one of the podcast's favorite guests, which means podcast host's favorite guest. So, Vaishak, <laughs> thank you. I'm so happy and excited to talk to you today. How are you doing?
0: Awesome, awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Sankarshan. Uh, fourth time, fourth time's the charm. <laughs> uh, you know, Sankarshan Joshi trip, hall of fame, all of that. <laughs> excited. And like, this is also a way I get to socialize and talk with you. So it's a lot of fun, good stuff. Looking forward to this podcast. How are you doing?
1: Yes, I'm doing great, Vaishak. So to set context of this podcast, few de- yesterday morning i was just sitting under the sun like so now i am uh, i spend like 10 to 15 minutes at the start of the day just sitting calm thinking stuff and then organizing myself for the rest of the day so that's when a thought hit me okay about gods and all of that and you were the first person that i thought to talk to because you're a very interesting man i'll tell you why you are an atheist but your interest in Indian mythology and how things work in Hinduism and all of that, your curiosity really excites me. Like you're a very interesting man from that perspective. So you consider yourself to be an atheist, right?
0: Good introduction. Thanks for thinking about me. <laughs> but like uh like I was saying, I don't consider an atheist, or like at least not like an atheist atheist, because uh I do stuff which an atheist wouldn't like. When I, the first thing I do when I wake up is I chant my prayers and I chant my shlokas, uh, because these were taught to me when I was a kid, and uh, that's more of my reason because I grew up learning all of these shlokas and stuff, right? So, that's what just comes to me. That's the way I was brought up, and and it puts me in a calmer space when I do it. It's a part of my routine, my meditation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I do understand the importance of going to temples. Uh, my granddad was a pujari. He did puja at a temple, so even though like I'm not religious in any way, but I do understand the context of living in such a family and how important my culture or my upbringing in that sense was because that was something that was really important to my granddad, so I kinda like feel like I have to respect it to whatever extent I do so I do understand that sense as well and like yeah how much ever uh, religious my granddad was that religious my dad isn't and how much ever religious my dad is uh, I am not so generation by generation definitely like uh, I feel like we get we become more and more different but like I do understand that basically what I'm trying to tell you is like a lot of my practices are because they were my upbringing and they're my culture. It's like not because of a belief. Yeah, it's a discipline. It's not because of my belief in something. So that way, like I'm not like an atheist atheist. Uh, but I am not religious as well. Like There are some things that... Uh, re- I I will not follow something because if you tell me it's... Because of a religion. Because I don't function that way. So, uh, in that way, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not religious. But uh, I'm not an entire atheist as well. Uh, I would say I'm spiritual. I'm not agnostic. I'm not agnostic in a way that I'm not telling like, I don't know, does God exist? I don't think that. I have my definition of God. And I have like my own version of God. Okay. To whom I pray to. And that's just how I. I... I it took me time to... Get to my uh, interpretation of God and all of that stuff, but I'll I'll let you more about know more about that as we go down the episode. But <laughs> basically, uh, I have my own definition. I am spiritual. I I can say that, but I'm not religious, so I'm not an atheist as well. Okay. Uh, and why? And like again, like why I told a lot of things. Why I practice whatever. Like maybe the first thing after getting out of bed of me praying or whenever. Like when my dog turned one. Um, he turned one on December thirtieth of twenty twenty one. So when he turned one year old, I gave a puja in a nearby temple. Like, that's because ever since I was a kid, my parents would do a puja for me on my whenever on, on my birthday every year. So it's just like my instinct as his parent to do it out for him. It's it's more of like would you would I come and say that um, do you believe in it does it make sense is it actually true uh, more than that it's like a practice that we've been following in my family yes it's your I way think... of
1: showing love towards your dog right because your parents yeah, and showed and you it, love that way and you'd like to extend the same love to your pet
0: yeah it's it's that same sort of love and like protectiveness and uh stuff i i gave like a road for an abhisheka in his name in, in uh, nearby temple. And like, I went and I did that pooja. So it's like a very mental piece. It's a calming thing because it's like, I'm doing my, I'm trying to do, and I'm trying to be the best dog dad that I can. So yeah, that way, so it, it all of this stems not from a religious point of view. It's more from like an upbringing point of view. So a lot of the things like my dad, before starting his car, he prays every time that like, as i was growing up i've seen him do that so like even when before i start like i tend to do uh, he if he prays for like say 2 minutes i pray for like 10 seconds that's the difference that i'm talking about but like these small small things have come to me through culture and through upbringing and that's why they're staying with me so yeah it stems not from a religious point of view i would say that and similarly my whole huge interest in mythology and especially Indian epic tales it all comes because of my upbringing again my parents telling me these stories me having these discussions with them and like the books I used to read growing up so it all of that comes from there but yeah so yeah
1: the first time you were here we talked about that Mm -hmm. right like we talked about Indian mythology and all of that I think the perspective that you had back then I remember you telling yourself to be atheist or something along those lines. But I think from the first episode, the first time you were here, like I think a year and a half back or something like that to now, I think Mm -hmm. that is something that has changed, right? Like in terms of how you, uh, so your definition of God. So when you are mentioning that, you said along the lines, you have curated this definition of God. So i like to start off by understanding your definition of god and mm-hmm. before that i'll just like to set up a foundation of why we are doing this episode because uh, yesterday when i was sitting a thing hit me that every single uh, god that we have in hinduism one of the critical comment that we get from other religions or anything like that is that how can a god have a human form right like that's a criticism or the way how we humanize our gods that i've heard a lot of people criticize that like it sounds silly for some and then some comment on the stories and some try to find flaws in the tales that have been told uh the mythological tales that we've been told and you are someone whose perspective fascinates me a lot because you love Indian mythology and especially you said you have curated a definition of God, right? So do I. And even I also have curated my own definition of who God is. So now that we have established that, please tell us like what is your definition of God?
0: So like, yeah, when we did do the first podcast or or the first time I was on your podcast in like December of 2020, I remember me telling that I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. And I think I still am the same. But like, yeah, over... I would have... I I had come to like my own understanding of God for sure before that. But uh, a few more... Uh, maybe like a mental phase that I was going through or like whatever. did like help me, you know, become... Um, get, get, give, gave me like a different... Uh, Perspective, I would say, or like it, it strengthened my already existing uh, perspective. So I went on a trip to uh, TM Hills, uh, uh, forgetting the, yeah, TM Hills. Uh, it's right near Ramagala. So I went on like a road trip sort of thing. And over there, in, uh, uh, it's like Timapan Beta. they say that. So in that, basically, Here is noise okay. (laughs) It came up on beta event, and over there, like if you look at the mountain structure, there's like this huge rock which is just sitting on like another piece of rock. So, all the that just like fascinated me because if you go and ask a civil engineer or something, it like it's it doesn't structurally make sense because it, it. it looks very unstable. It's like a huge rock. And like, if I look at all the other mountains, in Pramaya, that like, maybe look at all of the other mountains. It's like very strange. It's very, very strange in the sense. It's like fascinating. Like how such, such big boulders are placed in such ways. And it's like, you know, in, in Timapan, like, like TM Hills like that, there's this huge rock, which is sitting on like another rock. And like, that just fascinating me. Like who put it there? Who who plays that? Because it's structurally, it's weird. I wouldn't say like it's uh, against physics or something, but like it it, it it's it, it, it's like very fascinating. Such a huge boulder placed in such a risky way, and even like that is P.M. Hills, and there is a temple there. Uh, they call the god they established there was Thimappa, and the story behind that god is that. People back in that time would come see that mountain and see that, and they would get fascinated, right? Like, oh, who who put this rock there? So then they then they told, okay, Timapa the god, and it's a I I it's an avatar of Vishnu only, I guess. So he put the rock over here and this built a temple in his name over there, and that temple still exists today. So that's exactly how, at least in like local level, at a very local level. That's how people understood God. So if you go to somewhere near Maleshwaram, there's something called uh, circle uh, Devi something. There's a circle Devi uh, temple. So that temple was built so that accidents don't happen in that circle. Circle Maramma, I think. That's it. It's near Maleshwaram. So in that circle right over there. So it's like they built that temple in Devi, the We got this Devi, bless this place so that accidents don't happen in this circle. Maybe at a time back then, a lot of accidents would happen. So it's actually called Circle Manama Temple. Uh, My friend Anuru, he's doing a thesis or, or he's helping in a thesis, which is about fever goddesses. So anytime there was like a disease, people would create a god out of like a Devi. And fee and like call it it's and basically to cure that disease from their home. Devi is the right? female so like,
1: female gods we call them. Yeah, yeah, female right? god.
0: Yeah. yeah. So like it's like uh, it's like an uh, uh, like a mother figure type. So like look after my child or look after my family who's suffering from this disease, and in the name of that disease, these goddesses were birthed out. Right? Maleshwaram or the place it comes from the god Kadu Maleshwaram. So it was a forest and the god there of the forest was Kado Maleshwara. From him, we got Maleshwara. Uh, Banashankari, Bana it's Parvati, right? So, out of her is where well this place birthed out. So, like, this is how a lot of the gods have come out. So, like, it's very beautiful. Like I said, Anuruddha doing favor goddesses, and he would tell me about how, because of this disease over here, people created this god. So, this is the origin of this god. So it's like very interesting how people at like a human level, how we look up to God, because end of the day, a human God is a, a, a God for us is from a human perspective is someone who we want to take care of us, right? The art form Puli Vesha, how it started off was in, in Mangalore's side, uh, what what happen was whenever Can you start like start off by uh, saying uh,
1: what that is like Hulivesha for all the people who, who are listening and don't know what it is. Can you just briefly explain what it is and then continue from there? Oh yeah,
0: like if you've seen the recent uh, really good Kannada movies that have come out, like, starting from Uli Dauru Kandante or the recent One Garuda Gamana in that like Hulivesha is an art form which is very very huge in coastal Karnataka. Here like um, uh boys and men they dress up and paint themselves in tiger in like tiger colors and then they do a dance it's called huli vesha they basically vesha means uh avatar so like they're in like the dress of like they're in appearance of huli or a a tiger huli is a tiger and then they dance or they dance so it's like a very huge art form it's it's like almost it's a very huge art form it happens every year. Or the displays happen every year. It's a very grand affair in this day. So the reason behind this grand affair or like why it's such a big affair now, the reason if you go back in time was that whenever like a mother's child was sick, uh, whenever a mother's child was sick, she would, like she would, uh, I don't know the English translation of the word, it's like, uh, do this for me, God, and I will do this for you sort of thing. It's like a prayer, basically. A mother's prayer, prayer and
1: offering it's, sort of thing.
0: Yeah, it's a prayer. No, it's like a prayer thing. Like, okay. uh, it it comes down to like, if you if I pass this exam, I will take three coconuts in your temple, something <laughs> like that. So something like that, like how a mother's prayer would be. Imagine like a mother's prayer. She would uh pray to Durga. Uh, Durga is like uh the Devi uh in Bangalore. That if my son is who is very sick right now. And sick in a sense, if if he becomes fine and he becomes in like a position to move, right? Because back then in infant mortality was very high. Not a lot of kids would survive. So a child surviving is like, was a huge deal. Especially if he were right. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the, in Mangalore side, the woman would pray that, let my child, please take care of my child. And if he becomes fit and fine again, I will make him dance. As your vehicle, a tiger is Durga's vehicle, right? So in in so they will dress as a tiger, and in in Canada there's like a very beautiful way, like on, uh, make him walk and I will make him dance, something like that. So, yeah, it's 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 a very huge, intense art form in the sense that they squat heavily, they dance very heavily. So when it's very heavy on the bones, like it's a very intense sort of dance. And that is because like, yeah, they survived, and they have to hurt their bodies so that because Durga was the one who took care of them and they reached this position, correct? So that's how this art form birthed out. And now it's like a huge cultural entertainment sort of thing, right? So what I mean to say that like, when you look at it from like a human perspective, everything in like our surroundings, be it, especially be it with our gods and stuff, they have like a very human to them it, it comes from human desires human wants human needs to take care of your loved ones during a sickness uh, to prevent accidents in a circle right so that's what that's what i need to say so going back to the dm Hell hills uh, trip that i'm speaking of uh, and when i saw that it, it that rock didn't makes like it just fascinated me such a big rock and that reminded me of a poem by a uh, Kanakadasa called Talan isadilu Kandya Talu Manabe. Uh is it Kanakadasa or Purandra Dasa? I hope I don't. Only on my podcast it gets all of this happens. If you just check. Talanisadilu Kandya Talu Manabe.
1: Are you just Googling it to fact check? Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I am right. It's Kanakadasa. One second, really Let's...
1: appreciate your efforts to uh cross check and put out the like a right valid information. Yeah, no, 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 no. I know it's connected, asa. but you just want to so, be sure of it.
0: Yeah, so I don't want to make a mistake, I know, but like <laughs> I know it's connected, asa, but when I come on podcast and I'm telling, oh, my mind is like, Are you sure? <laughs> what if you're telling it wrong? So that way, but it is, it is connected. Asa. So Kanakadasa has a poem called Kandya taalu And like I, I'd like, like to go over the poem as well on this. So uh the poem basically means Kandya taalu Meaning in, in a very cute way, it's saying like, don't worry, mind. Kandya is like in a way of saying "kanda Putta, right? Uh, or like a, a, beloved. my child, my beloved, right? So. In a very uh, cute way it's telling is meaning. Don't worry. Right. Don't worry. My child. I manave, not manave meaning rest. Like, you know, be peaceful. Like don't ease your mind. So don't worry. Child ease your mind. Meaning he will help everyone. There is no doubt about it. So the context of the poem is. Don't worry. Child. Uh, don't worry child, ease ease your mind, he will help everyone, don't worry. There, and there is no doubt about it. And then he comes and breaks it down. How does he break it? The same, why this PM Hills reminded me of, this was... In the poem, he's saying, who put that tree on the edge of that uh, mountain over there? Who did that? Right. He, who did that? He will only take care of you. Right. Because who is taking care of that tree? tree, Right. It it birthed out. Like if you go and you will see like a beautiful flower birthed out in concrete, in in a concrete footpath where everyone pisses through garbage out of there, like a beautiful flower will be born. Who who did that? Like I I know like the scientific reason behind it and all of that. But what? but like there's something taking care of that flower. That same thing will take care of you also, don't worry. It's called entity. Yeah, it's an entity or an energy or a force Kud or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Adavi a swami. For like animals and birds, someone has kept food every, everywhere. There's food everywhere a in nature
1: for every species. Yeah. Like animals in forests yeah. who gave yeah. food for them, right? Like that's what it's saying there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like in every place itself. Like if you look. For the squirrel, like if you think of a squirrel, there's like food everywhere. And for every living organism, it's living its life on its own. It's, it's living its life and it's able to take care of its needs. If it's like a deer in the forest, it has grass. It has things everywhere around it there. A lion has food everywhere. So like every organism has a way of conducting its life. And it is, it has been. If humans never came into existence, each and every organism would like, you know, have their own ecosystem. Food and like, Yeah, they, they, they've been taking care of this without us intervening, right? Who kept those? Ahara, who kept the food for these animals everywhere? That same person who kept that food, he will take care of you also. Don't worry, right? There's something even more, Beautiful. He says like a frog that is born in the crevice of a cro- uh, in the crevice of a rock somewhere for that insignificant species. Also here, this force has found a way to take care of it, give it food and become big. There is something that is doing that same person who is doing this. He will take care of you also. So in a way that like, and like it's it's told in a lot of renditions of this Kanakadasa, and like Kanakadasa, Purandara Dasa, all these Dasas who, the reason why they started preaching God is like they started preaching God from like a very human scale. There, how, how, how was it back in time? If you had to pray to God, how would you have to pray? You'd have to chant these uh, complex Sanskrit shlokas. And over time, then came Baswana and akamaha Devi, right? Allama Prabhu. They're all, they're all the forebearers of the Lingayat movement. How did they transition from that to that? Vachanas. So vachanas are much more easy for the common man to say. And they are giving a definition of, you know, like, they're, they're like helping the normal person interpret and become close to God in their own way, right? Right. And the end of the day, they're preaching life lessons. Then these dasas, how they do it is they wrote songs. They're singers. If you look at these renditions, there's like a lot, a lot of renditions on YouTube about Tal they're beautiful tear jerking songs. What are they telling? They're soothing you. They're telling how it's told from like such a cute perspective. It's like there's an English song like, ooh child, things are gonna get easier. It's the same way how this is told it's it's like telling child kanda putta there's like don't worry ease your mind the best part about
1: this vaishak is so when you read that poem right uh when you read what kanakadasa wrote so it says in a way everybody when we look at human beings we think that we are in control of certain things right and nature has its way of evolution let's say uh so in the kids perspective Kids need to build immunity, right? And even when they have to build immunity, they'll have to get sick, build immunity, get sick, build immunity. So, when Karakadasa wrote this poem, let's say from a mother's perspective, if your child is sick, you want that kid to get better, but there is nothing you can do about it. So, in a way, like don't feel that you have control leave it to the nature or like a bigger energy to handle things right and if you look at it just the mental peace that you get from that like so let's say if a lot of people go through a lot of negative thoughts and negative uh, whatever it might be like like negative results for in, in any relationship it's because they think they have control over things that they don't have control over and that sort of leads to a lot of Problems and this poem just taking off that that load helps them right like mentally. So I just wanted to yeah, add I, that before we move uh, ahead with whatever you were saying, like very beautiful Vaishak.
0: Yeah, Maybe yeah, yeah, and, and it's
1: yeah,
0: and and it's 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 telling you to it's calming your mind. Plus, how is it? How it's a song music calms you down naturally when you listen to something melodious or something it calms you down naturally and which is why it's such a powerful tool right this one helped a person back in that day listening to this He it helped him reach his own understanding of god and it helped me in my own way so like this it reminded me of this poem like for me to like i knew the meaning of it and like i i like it's actually like a um a poem in first or second POC. It's a very beautiful poem. And like, and like, I I knew, kind of knew the meaning of it. But for me to realize the value of it, right. it happened to me when I went to TM Hits. So it was like, and it just hit me. like, And like, I was also worrying about stuff back then. So I was like, yeah, the same thing that's taking care of this rock, who put this rock, that thing is going to take care of me too. It's going to take care of all of us. Right. And whatever I can't, it's, it's of course, like I have the want and need to control everything ever. So that's who I am. But every now and then it's okay. It's okay. Just like don't worry. Like, and and I am an overthinker. So don't think so much. Ease your mind. Like Calm down. Calm down. It's going to be fine. So this like, and like, it, it like made my, bond with nature much stronger as well so uh because like from like a nature setting like how is the world so beautiful sometimes when i see my dog i see god like how did a creature come who's so loving who's takes care of me who's who loves me like even if i yell at him two minutes later he's back with the same love. how did god create a creature who is so full of love who doesn't harbor negativity, who doesn't keep the same negative emotions inside and doesn't carry it forward. All of these things are like God. They're all godliness. <coughs> so that's what I mean. So it's very, it, it, it it's strengthened by that point. And I feel like that's my connect with my version of God or anything. Anything else is, more of i'm not religious in any way I, so it took me time to come to this understanding and let's see maybe as time passes my interpretation or my version will change I, I, I can't say for sure but the things such as praying up or like before every theater show that i've done it before every show i touch the feet of my parents and my grandparents um my grandmom i touch their feet before my first day of my job, I did I touched their feet and asked for their blessings. After I got my first salary, I touched their feet and got their blessings. So these are all things which have come to me from culture, not because of you know God. My granddad, my granddad, like whenever like any guest would come home, used to irritate me a lot. Like he would just be like, "Aisha, you touch their feet?" And they'll be like, "Why, why, why, why?" <laughs> so like every time he would do it. Like I, I, I don't do it to that extent. But like, I understand, like I do it out of like my respect and my upbringing and my culture and I like doing it. It calms me and it's like a way of life. But yeah, this is how I separate my spirituality aspect as such. It comes from like a very, it's not like a deep, my spirituality doesn't come from like something deep as like, you know, there are chakras in this body, this cosmos, all of that stuff. It, It comes down to like the most basic human form. Be- Kanaka Rasa telling me to not worry and like a mother asking, my mom asking, going to like a temple that she went to Kukya Subramaniampur, my mom and dad which is like 300 kilometers away from here 350 kilometers away from here just to pray that I do well in my exams these things are like very human and if that helps you lead your life and that's your understanding of God and stuff that's mine too. So I would say that's how I am as a person. But yeah. So
1: I think we both are similar in a lot of aspects when it comes to God. Because for me, right, philosophy I don't know how to put it, but it is changing my life. So whenever I read anything or whenever I listen to a poem, right, for me it's not about belief. I mean in the the entire Hinduism, a lot of people have belief and that's how they function, right? Like from faith and belief. And there is other subset of people who for them, philosophy can have a lot of impact. Like philosophy in, uh, in proportion to our actual life. I mean, like that's how it works, right? So when I, let's say this poem that you're talking about, it just hits me. Like if I listen to Gita, And then there is something that Krishna said. It just hit me. So, Jordan Peterson, right? Like, I remember you mentioning him about like 12 rules for life. We had this entire bit in our first podcast. I didn't know who he was. And then now he's like one of my favorite people in this whole world. Like, I have heard hundreds of hours of him from that episode to here. I have have heard him n number of times. Anything that he says, right? Philosophically. That hits me. So my mode of how I do better in life and my mode of how I function, it's philosophy. Like it can help me. Let's say if I'm in a very sad state, certain lines said by someone, it just translates me. I process it and then I bring that to action. So in Gita, Krishna says, you are the doer. You focus on doing it and don't dwell on the result, right? You leave the result to me. So, you said that as well, like, karaste. I don't have that line by heart, but you do. So, it says, you do something, do it passionately and don't worry about the results. And let's just say that I'm in an office environment and my boss didn't give me compliment for my work. And let's say if I'm anxious and if I'm if I'm overthinking, and I'm sad. Just this, this one line, right? That says, focus on doing your best and don't dwell on the result. Just thinking about that line, it just hits my mind like reset, like refresh. And for me, that's how I function. And like even throughout my podcast also, like if you go through my solo episodes, I just observe things and how people do. And then let's say I read a book or I've heard this poem, or like some uh, spiritual thing. It's just like I connect it to human behavior and how people function, and how do I function well in my life. So that has been my mode of doing it. So I think there are three types of yoga in Hinduism or like in Indian spirituality. Yoga is action, right? Doing. One is bhakti yoga, which is faith, belief. And then it, it goes like that. Second is Karma Yoga, where you do action. uh, And then like you physically do stuff, let's say meditation, like types of meditation and then physical yoga. And then the third is Jnana Yoga, where you are reading about spirituality. It's more about philosophy. Like you want to know, like Jnana means knowledge, right? Like you want to know more about that. For me, the third one connects a lot. Like third one and second one. I mean, I do have faith, but I don't function purely on belief and faith. So my mom, she functions completely on belief and faith. Like, so if there's a problem, she just, she just stands in front of the God. Let's say it could be like a photo rider, like whatever she thinks God is. And she truly surrenders with belief and like, and, and a lot of faith. And then there's my dad. Like my dad, he's the second guy. Like he's, he does a lot of meditation and he has his uh like some breathing technique that he does like while meditating for him that is like like for him any faith or belief he doesn't do anything blindly like for him that is his way of connecting with God he does that meditation and all of that for me the third one because I live in the real world and I don't disregard real world and I don't disregard spiritual stuff that has been told also so i try to make sense of that and how i can apply it in real world so like marriage between that so that's why stories and uh, like anecdotes that have been passed on to us from our ancestors right like or when i read any krishna story or like could be any god story that helps me a lot and you are someone who loves story too so How does your, like, how do you translate mythological stories or into your mental space? Like, how do you let those stories reflect into your life? An interesting question. Uh,
0: For me, like, when I look at stories, they're just stories. And... I can definitely look at it and like I I learn and as a person like I tend to analyze things and go very deep into stuff and all of that. So like I, 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 that's just who I am and I try to like come up with my own interpretations of stories, look at the positives and look at the negatives and that's just how I am. So if you look at like something like how does it reflect in my real life it's that I would say, like sometimes I'm just walking and like, or I'm just doing stuff, and it hits me something like, uh, something. I'll give you an example. If you look everywhere, Krishna is is portrayed as the ideal lover. Like, like if any girl would want to have a lover like Krishna, right? Everyone says that. Uh, it's it's throughout. Like Krishna is seen as this. Ideal lover sort of situation, and like throughout, like since I was a child, I'd be like, "Why is it Krishna? How how can how is it Krishna? Isn't it like supposed to be Rama? Because Rama was like devoted only to one person, whereas Krishna had multiple, right? He had Radha, many, and like he also has sixteen thousand uh, wives, is what they say. So, uh. So, like, why is Krishna beat all that? Like, isn't Rama supposed to be this ideal uh, lover? And then, like, I was going by, and then there's this story of how Krishna got the 16,000 uh, lovers. Uh, sorry, 16,000 wives. What happened was, I'm forgetting the name of the Rakshasa or the person of whoever, who... But there was this person. I'm, I'm forgetting the name. But this... Uh, he, this evil person had entrapped 16,000 women in his castle and Krishna went, fought, killed that demon and then he took 16,000 avatars like at the same time and he married all of the 16,000 women who were trapped and that's how he got these 16,000 wives. Now that you think of it, okay, Krishna did this, but why was this how was this story born and why was it told so back like women who have been touched by another man are regarded impure right back in those times and like that's just how it's like a, a, a misogynistic and regressive thought that like if she has been touched by someone else it's she's an impure person and she she does not belong in a society etc cetera, etc cetera, evil evil and uh, while uh, thoughts and statements. So Krishna, being a god who we look up to, right? He went and he himself married all of these sixteen thousand girls. So on our mana In another way, he protected the dignity of these sixteen thousand girls, protected them so from the story, shame
1: that society right yeah, yeah, bring up onto. Yeah, Yeah, he protected from the them
0: from their shame and like, and that story is telling us what sort of regressive misogynistic thoughts and intentions do you carry when Lord Krishna himself was like this? So it's in a way of telling us. It's it's That's what I mean. Like from a human point of view, they're all like stories in their values. I am so right?
1: happy. I am so happy you brought this Krishna story because uh, I made notes where I wrote this exact point that you are talking about and I put Exclamation yeah. mark next to it, because I wanted to put more emphasis on this, so uh uh-huh. I'm so sorry, I'm cutting you off because, like uh uh-huh. even before we proceed, I had this one friend in my eleventh and twelfth. I had this one friend i I still remember we were in the Sanskrit class, and uh he was talking shit about Krishna, Lord, like he was talking some ill things about him, so these were his exact words. He said a guy who is marrying so many people and who is considered to be like in our traditional sense of fuck boy, why are we treating him as a God? Like, is he who God is supposed to be? He is the God and we're supposed to pray. And that's how he was mocking Krishna. And I didn't respond anything to him. But I felt bad for him saying that. I'm like, whoa, like I've never heard anyone say something this extreme. But I didn't say anything back to him because I didn't have any reply. And over the period of time, I don't remember exactly when. I think I read this in a book or someone told me this. I don't know. So, Krishna is a sort of a god and like in in Hinduism, he is considered to be like a supreme god. right? Like one of the supreme gods, like topmost. And so, once when I think Narada or somebody, he uh, when he heard that Krishna had 16,000 wives or a lot of women, he went to one of Krishna's wives' home and Krishna was there. And he went to second wife's home and Krishna was there. And he went to the third wife's home and Krishna was there. And he also went to the main Krishna where he wasn't there with anybody. Like Krishna was also there. So, ideally, how it was translated was, Krishna was not actually there in each and every houses as their husband, but these Gopika, like all the women, they worshipped God and they showed love to God as their husband, you know. So initially when you were talking about Lingayat and how uh, that Lingayat religion or community, how there were these uh, people like Basavanna who were taking like a huge chunks of philosophy and they would tell it in such simple words that would make sense to common people. Basically, they made that... The huge ideal of who God is, whatever it is, into these digestible chunks, right? And so applying the same logic into this Krishna's thing, people are building a relationship with God and they are showing love to God. So basically Krishna will be whoever you want him to be, if you show him love in that, in that sense. So for Arjuna, Krishna was a friend. Krishna was like a teacher, best friend. He truly believed that and Krishna was manifested like that. And all the Gopikas, they truly believed that Krishna was their husband and Krishna was their husband. And for Draupadi, right? Draupadi, oh my God, like dude, I'm getting goosebumps. So for Draupadi, she saw Krishna as a brother, right? Like when there was this incident where people were harassing her She looked up to Krishna and was like, Brother, where are you? Come to save me. And then Krishna came as a brother. It is not about Krishna having 16,000 wives. It's about whoever you want Krishna to be, whoever, like God, so Krishna is God. However you establish a relationship with God, that will make it easier to consume God and make sense of the world, right? So I think this is something that that actually like gives me goosebumps, you know. Like every time I try to make sense of it. So now, building relationship part of any Indian mythological story, it it just blows my mind. So that Krishna's part that you were talking about, I just wanted to add this because I wanted to talk about this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So like that's how stories come down to like a human form to like us common people. When stories they end up like you know going over all these, and when they reach us, this is what they're trying to tell, right? And this is why Krishna is shown is shown as that, Rama is shown as the ideal son because of how he was and all of that, right? So end of the day, they do come down to stories, and like we need to look at these stories and realize who we are and what can we learn from them, and that. So yeah, that's how stuff reflects in my real life
1: that's how stories come into my real life right i think for some weird reason we human beings love stories i recently uh i don't know if you heard jordan v peterson was on joe rogan's podcast it was a four hour long ass podcast i did you give it a listen no okay okay so in that he goes on and on about this part about like jesus and the stories in the bible he does the same thing like he's trying to make sense philosophically of what those stories tell and there is this interestingly he mentions how stories have been a part of humanity even before paper pen books existed so cavemen when they're drawing something in the cave they're telling a story so a lot of stories have been passed on like word of mouth like even songs right a lot of art forms have Evolved to tell stories, right? Like every art form tells stories and we want stories, man. Like that's how philosophy will be passed on and that's how philosophy will stay in humanity. So I think stories play a really, really important role. Uh, I think it makes sense when you say that you're fond of stories and how it translates. Yeah, for sure.
0: Stories, songs, plays, movies, everything, all sort of art form, that's like, because end of the day, we're human, right? And like, that's just how our mind moves. That's just how we're convinced. And our life is shaped through our experiences. So we need to see experiences. We need to hear experiences for stuff to make sense to us, which is why like, yeah, I love stories. And for sure, uh, for me, like how I understood and like I came, but all this was through Amar Chitra Katha. There were stories, comic book formats, right? There were end of the day, there were comic books, and I used to read them over and over and over again. So that's how like it shaped me as a person. So yeah, for to each one their own. For some person, like for me, like I remember, like my granddad would wake up every day uh, around six, and he would start his puja at home. I would start getting ready for school. And when I was getting ready for school, I would hear his shlokas over and over that thing. And like with that, like that slowly, initially, maybe beginning, it was like, what is he chanting? What is he saying? But as time passed, like it started making sense. So this is what he's saying. And because end of the day, it comes down to experiences. So yeah, that's why like stories are. That's what make, that's what I believe in. They make humans human.
1: Yeah. I think we have a very special connection to biographies, right? Like when we look at Steve Jobs' story, or when we look at a movie which is based on real life, when we... uh, I don't know if you know Francis Sangano. Like he's a MMA fighter. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast and he told his story of how he came from a village and like how basically he smuggled himself into... France or like some country like illegally, and while cross uh, while crossing four or five times, there was this very like a wall, and there were these uh thorns or like the barbed wire that they put around it. So he fell on it like twice or thrice where he cut his skin and he got stuck in the barbed wire. So he struggled a lot to cross that country and go to find a better opportunity for himself. And he was inspired by Muhammad Ali and he wanted to do something for his life. And then now. Uh, He's a like, I think he's a heavyweight champion of like UFC. There is something about the real life struggles and real life stories. It's like he is me, I am human, and like we are in the same planet. If he has gone through something that is so traumatic and he has achieved something. Even I can do it, you know. I think that is where the... Like, if you look at Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, people get inspired, man. Like, if you go to YouTube, there are a lot of motivational stuff where people just talk about their own life story and we get goosebumps and we want to do it. I think that's where the humanizing part of things come. Like, now, Ramayana, Mahabharata, the two epics, they are like big-ass stories And the way how they showed things was a very, I mean, there are a lot of metaphors here and there and something that we don't seem to be natural, but it is still a story, right? And similarly, if a man can do that, like now say Rama, when you go to Rama's story, he was an ideal son and the way how he was, it, like when you listen to that story, you want to be that person. Like, you want to be that son. You want to be that friend. Like, you want to be that person that he is. I think we human beings have figured this out like centuries back and that's how stories have like stayed even now and that's how we're conveyed, right? Like, I think that is a very underrated part of uh, mythology. Or at least like Indian mythology.
0: For sure, for sure. And like another beautiful thing about stories and we discussed this back in like uh, the previous podcast as well. Where like it's the beautiful thing about stories and especially like these mythological and like any stories in general is that it's not just what the story is about. Something that's beautiful is the storyteller. Who is the storyteller, right? So if we take the case of Ramayana, uh, there the birth of Ramayana was Valmiki's Ramayana. Valmiki writing the Ramayana in Sanskrit. Not everyone understood Sanskrit. So it would go pass through word of mouth. And when one storyteller is telling the same story to another storyteller, right? He just doesn't tell the story. He also carries his emotions for it. So he just doesn't give the translation of the Ramayana. If he hates Kaikeyi for doing that to Rama, or if he hates Ravana for doing something to Sita, that emotion will also come out in him when he's telling that story. Like Ravana was this evil person. He did this, he did that. Or maybe there was this person who thought that Ravana was an ideal man. But he just had this small slip up. And because of that, he kidnaps Sita. Let's say he thought someone thought that way. So like him telling Ravana was actually like a really good person. That also reflects in him. And when the listener listens to it, that also shapes his thinking. Because he's seen it through this perspective. And when he passes it on, he gives his own perspective. So throughout time, like these stories, they're not just stories, they carry emotions, they carry generations, years and years, thousands of years worth of human emotions in them, right? And when, like, eventually it came down to Tulsi time, Tulsi wrote the same thing in Hindi, in uh, singable form, called Ramacharitra right? So, in that, like, Ramacharitra so in that, it's it's a more common form. So, like, his version was shown in that. And like the same thing in if you look at Mahabharata, especially in Kannada literature, it starts off with Veda Vyasa's Mahabharata, right? But that when Adikavi Pampa wrote it, right? He had a take. It was called Adikavi Pampa's Mahabharata is actually called Vikram Arjuna Vijayam Because for him, Arjuna was the hero in the panda. Like he was the hero and he wrote it from that sort of view. So if he heard that, if I, if I lived during that time, for me, Arjuna would be my hero, right? And then, if I heard, if, but then came Ranna, and he wrote Sahasabhima Vijayam, And for him, Bhima is the hero. So if I heard that, for me, Bhima would be my hero, and that would that's how I would be. And then came Kumara Vyasa, who, whose rendition of the Mahabharata is my favorite, and that's a very neutral sort of view. So which is why like I feel, in, when I look at things, I am also very neutral, in a way. And in a sense, then later I read Mahabharata and all of that. And when my dad used to tell me the Mahabharata, for him, Karna was his favorite character. Which is why for me as well, like that shapes my thinking. And when I tell it to someone else, maybe when I tell it to you, or maybe it, 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 it it shapes your thinking as well. You just don't see the story. Like if you read the Mahabharata, let's say you like read it from scratch now. When you read the part about Karna, you'll be like, oh yeah, I, I understand why Vaishak likes him. Right? It's it's a very it's a very similar thing. If the first Marvel movie you saw was Iron Man, your favorite Avenger is Iron Man. If the if, you, if the first Marvel movie you saw was Captain America, your favorite Avenger is Captain America. Let's say you didn't watch that at all, you saw Batman, right? Then like your favorite hero is Batman. It's 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 as simple as that. But when you that's how like these things influence us and And then within us, and we don't even realize that we carry these values and this is how our understanding was formed. Just as how important our experiences, our childhood experiences, be it with friendships, relationships, with our teachers, in our family, whatever, how they influence us as people and make us people, the type of media we've consumed, the type of stories that we have heard, right? All of this consumed, and make us people as well. And this is where our thinking comes from. So that's the beautiful part of storytelling. And this is like, it's so like beautiful in the sense that like sometimes, yeah, because just as important as a story is who's telling the story. And and that's so beautiful, right? It's so nice. And which is why like we need more interpretations of the same story, because that is what makes us think when you try to gatekeep a story and try to tell that this is the only right way to tell something, you are actually causing harm to the story. You're, ca- you're causing harm to the art form. You're causing harm to what it, of, of its true potential, right? And which is why, like, whenever, like, people try to gatekeep religion back in our time, when, when like, the high Brahmins, the high, the high status people, they try to keep the religion for themselves, that you know, this is how you're supposed to pray to God. You should say these exact shlokas in these exact same ways. They were like when they were trying to gatekeep that, in, in a way, what was happening was they were breaking the connection between the people and God. Like they were making it hard. And which is why time and again and again and again, there have been people who have come and tried to severe that bond The and and the common man has always won. Nobody in a higher status has ever won. Uh, whenever they have tried to gatekeep something, right? It even So like, when they were trying to gatekeep religion, then came Baswana, Akama, Alama Prabhu and they told, no, you cannot keep me from understanding the God, God the way I want to. Uh, this is how I understand him. How do I understand him? How how to live my daily life, living right, living my Kayakave Kailasa is Baswana is... Motto, meaning I find God in the work that I do. Which is why in the worker community or in the worker class, that's why lingayats are huge. Because when you find to find God in the work that you do, kayakave kailasa is is the interpretation. They're like, you will not tell me that the only way I worship God is by going to temple and doing all these pujas and doing that. No, this is how I find my God. And that's how many people started believing and they understood, oh yeah. Mahavir Jain. He came. How I will see God is through non-violence. I will not harm anything. I'm I'm going to live a very sadhik lifestyle. And people related to that, it is Buddhism. He had like the nine values of Buddhism, right? This is how I see God, and this is my lifestyle. Kanaka Dasa, uh, Purandra Dasa. This Dasa is a community. This is how I see my God, right? So when you try to gatekeep something, what I'm trying to tell is like when you try to gatekeep something, people will. Fight back, and they will—they will not allow you to gatekeep something. And this is not meant to be gatekept. Like you cannot hold stories, you cannot hold ideas, and tell this is the only way to tell the story. Like sometimes, like obviously, you shouldn't do injustice to the story. I shouldn't go about tell Mahabharata in like a very uh, unjust and like in a very ignorant way. But yeah, I can I am allowed to come up with my own interpretation, my own understanding of the same thing. I can't obviously go and tell like a hey, pandavas or five boys were there, they were really useless. That, that's me doing injustice. But for me to tell the Pandavas in the Pandavas what I thought yudhishthira did was wrong. Or what I or I think Bhima was the only right one, right husband to drop it, Something like that. Like these interpretations, I'm allowed to have them because that's what stories are supposed to do to you. They're supposed to evoke emotions. They're supposed to make you think. They're supposed to make you understand. it. that's how they reflect in your real life. You ask, right? So that's what I mean. So you can't gatekeep stories. And I find that it's happening a lot, especially now. Where like if you try to twist the way a story is told, like there's like a huge uproar, and like it's like it's 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 not seen, it's very unsuitable for the story format to grow. Because what makes the story story it's it's end of the day it's just words on a piece of paper but when you read them and you think them and you put your own emotion to them that's when they start making sense so which is yeah it's it's as simple as like this gatekeeping thing is like why indians are huge how cricket became huge in our countries because it was gatekept as like high class englishmen would only play this so the, we Indians were like, fuck you. And we started, it became like a very common, like local gully cricket it became for us. So it was like a, a middle finger to the class system in a way. So like, end of the day, human emotion primes everything. And yeah, that's how stories grow. That's how we grow. And that's how we progress as a society.
1: Absolutely, Vaisak. So, yeah. I think that emotion part is... I think you can try to understand someone's pain, but when you go through a pain, the, the way how you see things is entirely different. So I think a lot of people, when you say philosophically, they disregard feelings, right? Like in a sense, do think with your brain, not with your heart. And I understand that because sometimes our insecurities drive our actions and our insecurity is a feeling of lacking something. And that is a feeling and that's an emotion. I understand that but I think even though you need to think rationally and not let your insecurities drive your actions emotions right I think it's a feedback mechanism so when you touch fire it hurts it burns and you know that you shouldn't touch fire again so I think sensorally speaking emotion is something that is like a feedback mechanism to make you feel like what is right what to do and what not to do so when even when you listen to stories also if they emo- if they evoke a certain emotions in you it sort of build like a, it builds a belief system of what is right and what is wrong what is the right thing to do what's the wrong thing to do so when you listen to our stories of injustice it hurts you right like you want to be in that story and make things right so that sort of builds your conscience of like what is the right thing to do what is the wrong thing to do more than the story being right or wrong It's the values that it's building. I think that's more important. So you saying that emotions from stories perspective is crucial. 100% agree with you there. The thing is like, yeah. And we see that in the
0: childhood cartoons that we've seen. The movies that we watch now. So yeah, they're everywhere. (laughs) And stories just don't have to be about actual stories the experiences your family members had, or the struggles of your parents when they were young, or the struggles of your grandparents when they had to take care of or build a family. These are all stories too, right? And this is how they affect us and they influence us. But yeah. Yeah. Which is why like keep telling, keep sharing experiences what I tell everyone. And once we we need to be open and we need to put our perspective out there to a certain sense. We need our beliefs and like when we do that, it's also very important to like hear these other stories, right? So, and to then only can we understand each other's emotions. If we just state facts, there is like, we don't, we won't understand, but in order to empathize, we have to tell stories and understand the emotion where that is coming from and all of that. Right. So only then can we reach mutual consensus and that's what i said we need stories to grow as a society but yeah
1: yeah we can empathize with the black people and the black community i don't know if i if it's a socially acceptable thing to call them blacks but uh They have been through a lot of things culturally in the past like slavery and all of that. And when you look at movies or when you look at songs or anything, it's all storytelling, right? I think storytelling is a way of understanding how somebody is feeling so that we can empathize with them better. So it's not just about spirituality. There is this element of story that it will give you a sneak peek into what the other person has went through. And I think that is the only way that you get to experience someone else's pain through stories. So, you know what? Earlier, when you were talking about Mahabharata and uh, the importance of storyteller as for somebody in the Mahabharata out of all the characters, if they say Bhima is, they think Bhima might be the hero and somebody say Arjuna is the hero and someone says Krishna is the hero or, or anything. It's that perspective, right? And And you say that, there like, we should encourage other perspectives. And if you ask me, I think we should create. It's not, like I think that is the only way that you're gonna move forward. Like you should have your own perspective. Like you can listen to someone else's perspective, but you should have like that's like a must. Because when you when you read Gita, right you read from your experiences in life you like there is only one vaishakhdat who has been through the experiences that you have been through so when you read something you perceive it from your experiences right so when i'm reading gita if arjuna or if krishna says like focus on what you're doing and not the result so or see god in everything like there is god in animal there's god in sun there's god in water the smell after rain so that is god so see god in every living thing and let's say you have been in a friend circle this is just a random example where people were very hateful about things they're just dropping comments negative comments about everything that is around you and then you listen that you know what there is god in every single thing and that sort of creates a perspective that you know what appreciate everything in the nature appreciate everything that's around you because that's god like love everything love everybody like some religion preaches that right like love everyone so i think that your experiences even though you don't want to you are going to have a perspective because that is how you go you're going to digest stuff so for somebody who's lactose intolerant they can't drink milk right so what's the point So, they need to go for vegan sources of milk. So, because you can digest the vegan source and you can't digest the animal milk. And it is as simple as that. Like, whatever you can digest, you go for that. So, when you build your own perspective, it is like taking up a larger chunk of philosophy, religion, God, energy, positive energy, could be anything. You digest it through what you are capable of testing yeah. it? Yeah,
0: as simple as that. If like you are willing to put in the time to understand the complexities of philosophy on your own, do that. But if you just want to hear a YouTube video about it, do that. But yeah, and like and like the way you say that like it's a must to develop a perspective, the perspective naturally comes up on its own. Right. But is it do you feel like you should Enforce the perspective on other people, not really, but you can like. Share your views and you can share your thoughts about things. That's how like, and it's very important for everyone to be accepting as well, but yeah, for sure to consume, whatever you can with the format that you can consume and like to do something is better than to do nothing. That's definitely there, right? Like if you can't read books, if you're reading audio books. No one should come make fun of you or you can't actually sit with the book. You're doing something about it. And that should be appreciated. And yeah.
1: Yeah. that is whatever
0: you can, like you said.
1: For the longest period of time, I don't know in the West or the rest part of the world, but for the longest period of time in India, we have been trying to debate, enforce what the right thing is onto other people. Like this is the right philosophy. This is the real God. This is how you are supposed to practice religion. And that has caused a lot of chaos, pain and bloodshed. Because there were a lot of wars that were waged because of this philosophy. Because they thought that that is the right thing to do. And they were enforcing their version of right thing to do onto other people. And I think they missed the entire point. It is not about what the right thing is it's not about debating mine is right and yours is wrong they forgot that they should understand the crux of what they are saying like let's say if there are two distinct versions of god what is the crux of their belief what is their crux of belief like understanding that they have wasted a lot of time lot of power lot of energy I think this has resulted in a lot of nihilistic dismissive people. Like when you look at our generation, right? There are so many versions and some are just bullshit versions and you become very dismissive. Like if this is what religion is, then fuck religion. If this is what God is, then fuck God. So I think we just hit our own foot and we fell as humanity.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah it's there and I don't know it's hard I guess I don't know what I think it was bound to happen like you can't control something to that extent like whatever had to happen will happen maybe like this nihilism will grow out of proportion and people will stop caring about it and that will birth a sense of hopeful make make people more hopeful and give out another, another version of what people think it is of their versions maybe yeah you know necessity is the birth of all inventions right so i think that's one way to think about it and yeah and like sometimes like yeah we do ruin it there is fundamentally yeah like i said it is wrong to think that your perspective is the right perspective and to go about it and when you start enforcing that you know your perspective is the right perspective. That's what alienates people. They're like, I don't want, I don't want my perspective. I don't want your perspective. I don't want. I want no perspective. Just leave me alone. that's what happens, right? So, if like I I if like you know I was telling the Mahabharata story to you, and then if someone then came to me and then told, hey, no no no, what you're telling is wrong. What you, the version of Mahabharata, what you're saying is completely wrong. You shouldn't say it that way. It's wrong. You should, don't say it. If you don't know anything, don't say it. If you tell that, I'll be like, okay, I'm wrong. I don't want Mahabharata only. Let me go. Leave. Let me be alone, please. But then you're causing more harm, right? Because you're just making me not want to involve myself in a story and not care about it. Whereas if that other person came and you told, hey, I understand what you're saying, but you're making a mistake here. Karna, Krishna didn't do this because he wanted to do something wrong but or something illegal. He did this because what he thought was right was more important. Something like that. If he came and introduced me to that, that'll make me think. Oh, yeah, maybe. Right? And that'll make me think and that'll give me my own perspective. And that's how perspectives are supposed to grow. It's supposed to. That's how we're supposed to communicate with each other. Right? But yeah, that's what it is.
1: And for sure. Yes, yes. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, please. No, no.
0: no, Like you were saying, like, but eventually, like, yeah, we are humans at the end of the day. And we will start thinking that what we think and what we believe is the right thing. And we will just continue to stick with that. Right. So that's very irritating. But
1: I think it comes from a place of ego. So when you see, for a, This is why I stopped indulging myself into some spiritual stuff. Like last year or like two years back. I had this phase in my life where I was trying to read Gita. I was trying to understand it and it was building me perspective. But in turn what happened is it built me an ideology which differed with my dad. So we spent most of the time arguing, debating our perspective. So. I I then realized, it gave me a feeling that I know something, you know, like I know stuff, like that thought that you know it, it comes from a place of ego. And that is not what spirituality is about. Spirituality is about nullifying the ego nullifying who you are and and extending yourself to something beyond you so then i stopped everything then i thought you know what i'm not gonna read any spiritual book anything i thought i'll take a sabbatical i'll be like i'll come back to this from a very fresh place and uh, so i was learning a lot of perspectives from this podcast and philosophy i was learning from here i thought for a while let me do this continue doing this i'll go back to gita once again so i think from the past also, people had a very strong sense of identity. They've built with their version of story and their ideology. like, this is who I am. Like, I am someone who believes that Krishna is the Supreme Lord. That's my identity. And if someone says, no, Krishna is not the Supreme Lord. Let's say Shiva is the Supreme Lord. Or Yeah, Shiva and Vishnu. That was something like Vishnu, Krishna, like they were all the same incarnations, right? So for the longest period of time, there were two different categories of people who believed Vishnu is God and Shiva is God. And they waged so much war. They spread so much hate. They threw so much shit at each other because they thought that is who they are. Their identity became that. So now if you strip this identity off them, they don't even know who they are. Like, their entire narrative for life, it just falls apart, right? So, I think yeah. I talked about this in one of my episodes with, like, uh, could be any narrative, you know, like the transgender, uh, the, de- the gender fluidity, or, uh, uh, let's say, feminism, or could be anything, you know, like any political identity, or any any narrative for that matter. People marry it so hard, man, that you like it it starts building hatredness so i think that is what happened in the past also like not letting other perspectives
0: yeah it's like because you become attached to your identity and you're not willing to let go of your identity at no matter what cost you know like it's it's very simple as when uh let's say you were going to a, your school and you're very proud of that school. You put it up everywhere. This school batch of 22 full everywhere. You're very proud of that school. And that is your, this thing I'm from this school and that's my identity. But then like a new story comes out that this school was actually, uh, you know, a place where there was a huge money laundering that was happening. Something, you know, they were doing this or something illegal. Then like, You become like oh shit! I went to a school where it it was like a something like this was happening. So then what you try to do is like you try to defend these actions. Oh, they were doing money laundering because they had to provide to all of these families, Uh, all the teachers had to get equal pay. Like you start defending, and like you don't realize who you are anymore. So it's very important to like create your own identity and to not attach your identity to someone or something that's not permanent and yeah, there are like a few fundamental things which you can agree. This is my fundamental right. This is my fundamental good. Uh, right. This is my fundamental wrong. And stick to that. And my fundamental rights and your fundamental right things, not the fundamental rights, the fundamental right things to do. They might differ. And in those cases, the thing you should do is agree to disagree, and not try to make change your version. You can't force anything out of anyone and we make mistakes all the time and it's very important to understand where these mistakes are coming from is it because this is something i naturally believe in or is this happening because of something is something or someone else making me do this right so yeah and like that's what like we at the end of the day we are we are silly yeah. we don't realize how we are being silly either. i might be talking on this podcast and telling that you know or oh, it's important, but like in my own family, sometimes I'm so rigid with my own views and I won't change it at no matter what cost. So yeah, it's very, it's, it's good to be self-aware, but it's also very important to not just be self-aware, but to actually practice what you preach and go do about things and put the effort into, you know, understanding, to communicating and all of that.
1: Right. I think Vaishak, As important as it is to develop your identity, you should also keep your identity fluid. Like a part of your identity should be fluid because if you are not changing, if your identity, if your perspective is not evolving, then are you even growing, right? So I think as much as you believe something is right, you should also believe in the possibility that you might be wrong, which will help you understand, listen to someone else's perspective. I have such strong, like when I say strong, I mean like really, really strong perspective on things. And I would love if someone dismisses that or like says something contradicting because I'm challenging my identity, right? Like I'd like to listen. Like if you say I'm wrong with this identity perspective, please tell me why. Because it gives me so much happiness when I change my perspective partially because I do this podcast right like I want to be updated <laughs> I want to be like I want to keep updating my philosophy because I don't want to sound dumb man like like, let's say now I believe this is right and 10 years down the line if this is wrong I would want to document my wrongs through this podcast like I want to come back and be like shit I was wrong here I should have changed my perspective so
0: but yeah, for sure, agree with you.
1: And it was like really
0: fun talking about all of these stories. And like, I don't do this that often nowadays. It was nice to think about all of this and communicate and to put my thoughts into words. It's nice. It's very interesting. So thank you for the platform.
1: Hey, man, thank you for uh, for deciding to do this. You know what? I can tell that this is one of my favorite podcasts man like hands down i'm not even joking about it this podcast gave me so much satisfaction because this is this ideology the like what we talked about right this is something that i i've been thinking about for a really long time and condensing all of it into one episode and you your perspective and mine overlapped so much that you sort of closed the gaps wherever I couldn't and it was it's always lovely talking to you Vaishak, there's so much like there's so much exchange that happens it's just fascinating every time I talk to you so thank you man for being here but yeah for sure Like uh, something that's like been like
0: an itch in my mind is that like now that like my life has changed so much you know uh, in the way that how my lifestyle currently is and the changes that have come along with it, am I ju- just as creative as I once was? Am I just as funny as I once was? Do I have that same sense of humor? Do I have that same creativity? Am I? How am I changing? And it's nice to know that like, yeah, change is inevitable and it's a part of your life. But like, nothing is permanent, and there's nothing for you to be afraid of. You change as a person, and it's okay. Right, like something that I would regret was like, back when I was in 8th grade, 7th grade, I would read like one book a week. Now I don't do it only, and like it's, because life has changed, then it's okay for you to do that. And, but it's also important to like, how how can I reconnect with things that gave me happiness? So these all of these are there and like this podcast is really fun for me to do because A, it gives me a platform to talk about what I want to and and B, like it forces me to think and it forces me to communicate and like how can I structure my views properly? And like, yeah, and putting that effort and communicating is like very fun and very fun to do. And and see and most important reason it's time when I get to socialize with Sankash and Toshi. So all of that. Fun stuff. Thank you so much for your time. Good
1: stuff. Hey man, thank you Uh, for all the people listening. You can find Vaishak Dutt on Instagram, and he has a YouTube channel as well, right, Vaishak? You have a YouTube channel?
0: (laughs) I do, but it's like it's
1: okay. Yes, yes. Please don't subscribe to it as of now. (laughs) It's there. (laughs) I'm gonna give links to Vaishak Dutt's socials in the description. If you guys wanna talk to him, you can go. If you are listening to this on audio streaming platforms, hit follow there so that you get more contents of this podcast and uh, more wonderful people like Vaishak.
0: (laughs) Yep. Subscribe and follow to Asankashin Joshi Trip, everybody. Do not miss out.
1: Yes. You can find the episode on YouTube and also Spotify, Geo Savan, Ghana, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast and yeah, that's about it. (laughs) Have fun, people. Yes. Bye. A Sunkarshan Joshi Trip